Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire. Happy David Ayers Day to you and everyone that is watching. Uh, you know, I'm obviously alongside of my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Uh, and, you know, just one year ago, it's crazy to think that um, we could arguably say that David Ayers, that moment was probably the best thing to come out of 2020, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember that day, like, vividly. I was at work. And I saw the Leafs had a game against Carolina. And, you know, being from Toronto, I kind of keep up with the Leafs, even though they're not my favorite team. Uh, and I just remember I, I was it got busy at work. And all of a sudden, you know, I see all over Twitter, all over my Instagram, just Leafs fans saying, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'm like, what the heck? You lost a regular season game. What's what's the harm there? And then I looked more into the story and saw the David Ayer story and, you know, I think just hockey fans, everyone kind of got a kick out of that. Even Leafs fans looking back on it a year later. Getting into the news here, we actually have breaking news, and this story is still developing. Artemi Panarin is taking a leave of absence from the New York Rangers uh, due to some Russian politics that are uh, coming out that are resurfacing. The news is that uh, this girl is coming out and saying that uh, she was allegedly uh, assaulted by Artemi Panarin 10 years ago. So that would have made, so this woman was uh, 18 years old at the time. And that would have made Panarin 19 years old by, you know, according to my math. And to me, uh, we, see, we see these stories resurface all the time, whether it's celebrities or hockey players. And, you know, it's crazy to think that I uh, people wait this long uh, to report the story. Um, but then again, uh, we have to look at it from both sides, right? So from the woman's side, yeah, sure. It, it's really hard to come out about cases of assault and it's hard to speak up about that. And, you know, there are still people advocating to this day that, uh, you know, with uh, assault and rape and stuff like that, like it's very hard to speak up about your past experiences so when you get the chance to, sometimes it is 10 years in the past and to at least, you know, get that word about, you know, get out that word that, you know, this person assaulted someone, it feels good for them. You know, it feels good for that woman to speak out about her troubles. Um, but then again, uh, you know, waiting 10 years in the making is definitely a long time. However, um, I think the main reason Artemi Panarin is taking a leave of absence from what I'm reading on Twitter is that he just wants to make sure his family is safe from the Russian government. And that's really the main issue here. Yeah, you know, like you said, in terms of, you know, just assault and abuse, it is hard for, you know, victims to kind of come out into the public eye and speak upon it. Um, I'm not sure how, you know, the timing was with it coming out now. Um, it's just super unfortunate, you know, for everyone involved, you know, I'm going to respect the victim and believe her until, you know, Artemi Panarin is proven innocent. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of more extent extensive, you know, they're going to take a look at this and figure it out because, you know, it's something that the league doesn't want, you know, their players, you know, being, being viewed as, as abusers. I remember the Patrick Kane case that was super big for him and, you know, took him off the cover of NHL 16 you know, kind of wrecked his career for a little bit, but he's been able to recover. Uh, and then, you know, just the situation with the Russians, it's, it's such an interesting thing, uh, interesting dynamic in the NHL. I remember, you know, there was a period of time where in the draft, general managers would kind of, you know, wait on Russians a little bit just because, you know, everything that's going on in their country and also, you know, scares of them going back to the KHL. 
Uh, so, you know, just hoping for the best and hoping that Panarin, you know, does stay safe throughout this time. Getting into the thick of uh, news here, the better news, we should say. Uh, so on Monday night, uh, we learned about the huge Texas uh, winter storm that they went through or they are going through, which postponed various Dallas Stars games. It postponed the, you know, the Monday night game as well as the Tuesday night game. And personally for me, uh, I didn't have this on my NHL 2021 season bingo card. Yeah, you know, we're used to seeing these games postponed due to, you know, protocols and such. However, you know, with inclement weather, it's just such an interesting thing and in how it's impacted the NHL. Typically, you know, games don't get canceled too often for, you know, weather delay because the NHL is played indoors. But with what's going on in Texas right now, you know, it's super understandable for the Dallas Stars to, you know, be postponing this game, these games. Uh, they're playing tonight, so hopefully the Stars are able to get back on track and I'm just wishing that everyone's doing okay in Texas. Alexander Barkov's goal Monday night marked his 420th in his career, which he moved into sole place of second all time in Florida Panthers history. And as a player and you, or as a player, sorry, but as a fan, uh, you, you and I can both agree that we grew up with Barkov and, you know, he is, you know, turning into this real stud of a player. And certainly for me, I, I can't wait to see him play in the Olympics next year. Yeah, you know, Alexander Barkov for the longest time kind of had the tag of the most underrated player in the league. I think, you know, all of that underrated hype began to, you know, get him some coverage. And then obviously, you know, now that he's the captain of the Florida Panthers, you know, pretty much every casual fan should know who Alexander Barkov is. You know, he's a thrill to watch. Early in his career, he... He was infamous for, you know, he had some good shootout goals, I remember, in his young career. But now, you know, he just has such a complete game, you know, potential Selkie candidate year in, year out. Just does everything on both sides of the puck. Uh, and, you know, it, it would be interesting to see him play for Finland because, you know, we haven't at an Olympic level yet. And as well, I should mention, he's not even playing with Jonathan Huberdeau as part of his uh, wingers. He's playing with Anthony Duclair and Carter Verhage. And, you know, to me, it speaks levels just how well uh, either that line is doing all together or just how well one player can perform and kind of boost up that line. You know, those wingers are very underrated, in my opinion. I'm glad to see Duclair have success this season. And in my opinion, Carter Verhage kind of was underutilized in Tampa Bay and you know, when you're put alongside of Alexander Barkov, you kind of get to see what that player's potential is. No, exactly. I think it's good for both Verhege and Duclair. Uh, you know, similar to the Oilers where, you know, Dreisaitl and McDavid used to play together all the time, uh, five on five. Barkov and Huberto were kind of just set, you know, Barkov up the center and Huberto on the left side, you know, interchanging with like Dadanov, Mike Hoffman, guys like that. Uh, but now they're kind of splitting them up, and it's been very good for the Panthers. They've been very successful with that this season, and it is due to, you know, these guys being able to step up. And I agree with your point on Verhege being underutilized in Tampa. It's just such a team. It's such a, such a tough team in Tampa, you know, where there's so many roster spots that are already, you know, kind of locks. Uh, so for a guy like Verhege to, you know, go and get more of an opportunity in Florida, and now he's thriving with it, it's nice to see. I think Florida is legit. I, I really think that what I've seen out of them recently, I, I think they could be a really tough out this season. And when, and you know, when we talk about playoffs in Florida, usually that doesn't match. Usually they're, you know, a quick first round exit, but 
I this season they're second in the central 11 three and two you know their last 10 six three and one this, this team is legit and I think uh, they'll be a nice uh, you know challenge and they can make a run for the division lead and usually preseason rankings we had Tampa Bay running away with the division yeah, I think, you know, it really goes to show besides, you know, maybe Detroit and Ottawa the last couple of years, how strong the Atlantic is, uh, you know, in a regular season format, you know, Boston, Tampa, Toronto, those are kind of the top three. So it is difficult for teams like Florida and Buffalo and Montreal to, you know, kind of crack in. But now that with these new divisions, Florida's seeing a lot of success and, you know, being able to be second place in a division is something that Panthers fans have not able to you know, call, call themselves for in the last, last little while. So it's nice to see. And also just to mention, you know, I guess the Panthers fan or fans, I don't even know if they have any, uh, you know, they're, they're going, <laughs> they're going to be very, you know, I guess miserable when we do go back to the old division format and the wild card next season. Cause I think this uh, new division thing is only going to be a one and done this season. Mm-hmm. You know, this their division specifically is kind of like the more wildcard division, you know, with the North, East and West divisions, you're kind of, you know, expecting the standings to be what they are right now. But, you know, with the Central, you know, Chicago's even in the, in the mix, you know, Columbus, Florida, Carolina, Tampa, all these teams, even Dallas, you know, uh, there's just so many teams who could make a run. And I think Florida, you know, early in the season, they had the benefit of not playing a lot of games. So their record looked better than it was. But now that they've been given a, you know, bigger sample size, we're actually, you know, seeing that Florida is a legit team this season. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the Leafs kind of choked against the Canes one year ago. But, uh, you know, one week ago today, they choked a 5-1 lead against the last place Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know, it was a 5-1 lead. Personally, I don't know how you can choke a 5-1 lead. Uh, you know, we the mistake there was John Tavares sending a flip pass or a lob pass right up to the middle on the tape of Nick Paul and bang, bang, back of the net. Shorthanded goal, might I say, with 10 seconds left in the second period. That was a huge goal for Ottawa. That was the TSN turning point because then they come out of the um, third period and... Uh, you know, they have this mojo going. It's like momentum shifted in between periods to Ottawa's side. They're on the penalty kill. They score another shorthanded goal. Now, all of a sudden, it's 5-3. And, you know, even Sheldon Keefe said, you know, it was as bad as he's ever felt about having a 5-2 lead. The warning signs were there for the Sens to come back. And personally, I don't know why he didn't call a timeout. Yeah, you know, I think it was just a poor, you know, execution. They went up 5-1 and things just kind of got a little sloppy, you know, with their play. We're used to seeing these Leafs team, this Leafs team, especially this season, you know, kind of play a whole complete 60-minute game and not have these, you know, you know, blown leads in the third period. Uh, I think it's just, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm not really sure how you blow a 5-1 lead, especially against an Ottawa team like this. You know, an Ottawa team... They scored six goals this game. They might not score six goals in a game for the rest of the season. You know, there's not a lot of, like, heavy scoring. You know, maybe if it was the other way around, you know, Ottawa was suddenly up 5-1. I could see, you know, the Leafs have enough talent to make that kind of comeback. But, you know, I think, you know, credit to Ottawa. You know, they came back from 5-1. And like you said, with the Nick Paul goal late in the second, I think that was a huge momentum shifter and, you know, really allowed them to go back into the locker room and, you know, analyze things. 
you know, just from my experience playing hockey, it, it's it's kind of easier sometimes to play, you know, when you're losing than play with the lead just because there's so many so many signs and superstitions there. So, you know, unfortunate for the Leafs, but it seemed that they were able to pick things up for the rest of the week. This also marked Ottawa's first win in franchise history, trailing by four goals or more. And what a way to do it, I think. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And against Toronto, you know, Senators fans don't have a lot to cheer about this season, but I think they'll be, you know, remembering this one for a long time. Another point I should mention is that Carolina scored six straight goals to defeat the Blue Jackets 7-3. You know, the Jackets were leading 3-1 before Carolina exploded. Yeah, you know, uh, Columbus, their team that kind of like needs to win those games 3-1, needs to shut you down. Um, But Carolina seemed to find a way to, you know, get the puck in the net after being down 3-1. And Carolina is just one of those teams where, you know, they can score five goals in a period sort of thing. Not many teams in the league can do that, but they have the talent, you know, four lines that just kind of all can put the puck in the net. Uh, And then credit to their power play as well. I'm not sure how many of those six goals were power play. However, I think we need to be looking at Carolina for one of the best in the league in terms of just the talent that's on the ice. They they are averaging 3.69 goals for per game. So, you know, to your point there, they are legit in my opinion. No, exactly. And and they've been legit for a couple years now, you know. A few years ago, the storm surge, they broke into the playoffs, made a conference finals run. Uh, last year, they beat the Rangers in the qualifying round. But I think now, you know, Aho's kind of butting into, you know, being an all-star and same with Svechnikov. I'm not going to call any of these guys superstars yet because I think they have a little bit more to prove. However, you know, just the collection of players on this Carolina team provides for a very solid team. You know, there are a couple of players they didn't mention there. Uh, I should mention, I got the stats right here. Uh, there's 12 players with at least one point during that 7-3 shelling. Tevu Teravainen and Brock McGinn each had four points. So it was a great team effort by Carolina. No, exactly. You know, when 12 players are all getting a point, it's huge. Uh, You know, they scored seven goals, so obviously a lot of guys are going to get a point. But it just does prove the depth of the scoring on that Carolina roster and that it's not just, you know, Sebastian Ajo, Tara Vinen, you know, Nino Niederreiter. Each and and every night, they're getting goals from everywhere. It was announced on Tuesday that Cole Caulfield is expected to turn pro in April after his season with Wisconsin is done. Currently, he has 37 points in 24 games, and he is leading the team in points and goals with 19. Uh, Points, obviously, that's 37, and goals, which is 19. In my opinion, we saw Paul Byron already on waivers. So who's to say that, uh, you know... Cole Caulfield doesn't, or, you know, who Cole Caulfield can replace Byron. Uh, we also saw Archery Leckoning be a healthy scratch. So, uh, you know, there are, I think there is some move within the Canadians' bottom six uh, to fit Cole Caulfield. However, in my best opinion, I think that for him to get better ice time, it's best to sit him in Laval. Yeah, I think, you know, going from Wisconsin straight to the NHL for Cole Caulfield, he's he's a smaller player. So I feel like, you know, he's not going to, I mean, by all means, he's he's talented enough to come in and be a you know, impactful player. However, you know, with smaller players, it takes them a little bit of time to kind of, you know, find their game in the NHL because they things that they relied on more when they were in juniors and their skill and speed, you know, they need physicality now. So I think, you know, putting him in the AHL could be a good thing for his development just in terms of the ice time. However, you know, Montreal, they might be needing some goal scoring late in the season, and it'd be interesting to see if he can crack the lineup. 
Well, uh, speaking on that de- development point, Trevor Zegris, it's Zegris time, baby. Uh, he has been recalled straight up to the NHL roster. He didn't have to go to the taxi squad or anything. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks have recalled their uh, top prospect, or, you know, we're waiting on Jamie Drysdale. Uh, but Trevor Zegris, uh, he has been recalled and should make his uh, debut tonight against, you know, I think they're playing the Arizona Coyotes, I think. Um, I could be wrong. But I'm very excited to watch Trevor Zegers. I know I will most likely have that game on my computer. Yeah, you know, Trevor Zegers, you know, as a fantasy owner, I'm glad to have him on my team. But I had him I had him early in the season because, you know, I expected him to crack this Ducks roster. I was surprised that he went to the AHL because he had such a phenomenal, you know, world juniors. And, you know, that Ducks roster isn't the deepest in terms of scoring. You know, I'd put money on it saying that they probably average, you know, one of the least amount of goals per game in the NHL. Uh, and I think they kind of, they were kind of just fed up. Are they, are they last? In yeah, the yeah, they're last with 1.83. Yeah, if you're scoring less than two goals per game, it's going to be tough for you to win anything. So I think, you know, bringing in this top prospect, it, it is the right time. He got a little bit of a, you know, you know, transition to pro at least playing in the AHL and he did very well there. 9.8 um, games. I think I heard somewhere that Drysdale like might be following him. So I think, you know, for the Ducks, I think this is a lost season in terms of, you know, they're not going to win the cup this year. So maybe getting Drysdale and Zegris, you know, these th- this experience, you know, while they're still young could be a positive thing for the Ducks future. Personally, I wouldn't count out the Ducks quite yet because if we look in that West division, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five teams. It is, it is a tight division. Five for that fourth position and Anaheim's only two points out. So this game against Arizona is a must win because Arizona is tied with LA with 17. Yeah, you know, for most teams, if you're averaging one point, whatever, 1.83 goals per game, you're not going to win games. But when you have John Gibson in net, he's got three shutouts already on the early season. You know, he gives you a chance night in, night out to win. So he's got to keep up his phenomenal play if the Ducks are going to push for that fourth seed. Building on that kind of defensive mindset you mentioned, you know, on Tuesday, I saw a very defensive series for the New York Islanders against the Sabres, both on Monday and Tuesday. And personally, you know, with the hiring of Barry Trotz there, that's just a classic Trotz. I mean, you know, he has that defensive mindset. They only allowed one goal in two games. So obviously, whatever his coaching perspective is, is working off. It's paying off. Yeah, you know... I like both the Islanders and the Sabres, so it was a tough, tough set of games to watch, but I actually did watch both of them as well. Um, with the Islanders, I think, you know, they're a team, if they can get out and jump up to a lead, it's a very tough team to come back against. I mentioned this earlier, you know, when we talked about how Washington came back against them, you know, you just don't see that happening too often. You know, they're just a shutdown team and they all sort of buy into Trotz's system. And I think, you know, the Islanders, Night in, night out, they're a tough team to play. And if they're going to get goaltending like this from Sorokin, maybe not every night, but he was very solid in his, uh, you know, first win, first shutout. Uh, And, you know, Varlamov, we already know what he can do night in, night out. I think the Islanders, you know, in that East division, you know, are a threat for the playoffs as they have been the last two years. And the Monday game, I should include, uh, had a third period shot out. The Islanders didn't allow a single shot in that 20 minutes of play, which is just incredible. No, it is crazy, you know, just not a single shot in the third period. It's a very difficult thing to do. And, you know, my dad is a Sabres fan and he he made a point that I agreed with. You know, there's too many perimeter players on Buffalo. They don't really have that kind of guy who's just going to stick his nose in, get the puck deep, get things on net. 
they just kind of have, you know, more finesse players. You know, Jack Eichel likes to, you know, have space. You know, Victor Olofsson, he, he, he can get the puck and snipe it when he gets it. But, you know, he's, he's not going to bully anyone out there. So I think Buffalo is lacking, you know, that kind of, you know, gritty guy that can just, you know, put himself in front of the net. You even see Ristolainen on the power play. He, yeah, he know, goes in front of the net sometimes. And when you have a defenseman in front of the net, it just kind of shows how there, there might be something lacking on that Sabres roster. And, you know, getting into the Sabres talk here, like there are some major, major issues there because now they're looking at scratching Jeff Skinner, who has uh, one point in 16 games. It's or maybe one goal. I don't know. But the guy, yeah, the, the guy's been irrelevant this whole season. And, you know, he's really there. He got the nine million dollar contract and he has not showed up for it ever since. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to me to think that, he went from, you know, a first-line caliber player to now playing uh, fourth-line minutes to almost now being on the bench. Yeah, you know, it's super interesting because he had a 40-goal season. He earned that $9 million contract. Um, and, you know, just watching Sabres games this season, he looks like a completely different player. You know, he got 40 goals that season, but even in the games he, you know, didn't score, didn't get a point, he was still an impactful player, you know, getting chances on offense and, you know, creating things. But he just looks super lost out there. And, you know, with one assist in 16 games, it's just been unfortunate. And, you know, he's he seems to have lost a lot of confidence, and that's tough to see in any player. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, as well as Buffalo can't even move that contract because he has a no-move clause. And, you know, people are calling for Jack Eichel to get traded. And, you know, when you're six years into your NHL career, Carter McDavid has had more success than Jack Eichel, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, the Oilers made the playoffs and Jack Eichel hasn't even tasted it yet. So it's, it's crazy to me that... You know, could we actually see uh, another top three pick? You know, we saw Line and Dubois get traded this season. Could we see another top three pick, let alone let, let alone be a number two overall pick, uh, get traded? And, you know, there's rumors saying that, you know, uh, the Rangers are interested and that the Kings are interested. Personally, leave this to the offseason. Uh, secondly, uh, you might want to you know, trade him to a Western conference team, you know, not someone that's a in your division or B uh, going to be uh, in your conference or C, Oh, you know, might be competing uh, for a playoff spot for you down the road. Yeah. You know, it's tough to see. And, you know, being an Oilers fan, McDavid went number one and not to say he's had an insanely successful career, but you know, his career in Edmonton versus Eichel's career in Buffalo, you know, they're two pretty opposite things. You know, Eichel last year, you know, if if the Sabres found a way to get into the playoffs last year, I'd say Eichel could have won the heart. He was amazing last year. Um, and, and this season, he, he's been, you know, the same old. He's just a very talented player. But it is unfortunate to see, you know, such a talent, you know, not even get a taste of the playoffs. And, you know, hoping hoping that Buffalo can somehow find a way to turn things around. Two games are rescheduled for May 10th, which is actually two days after the original end of the regular season. Uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia joins Tampa Bay and Dallas in, in, you know, I think we kind of expected this to happen. Uh, Personally, it's not a surprise from me to see the NHL rescheduled uh, games beyond the original end date for the regular season. I thought this was going to happen either way. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, earlier we talked about kind of like giving, you know, sort of a grace period between the end of the regular season and the playoffs, you know, just in case this happens and, you know, already, you know, we're, we're, we're well into the season, you know, a month and a half, but, you know, seeing these games push to then, uh, I think, you know, it's a good thing just in terms of, you know, flexibility, Dallas, they're going to be playing so many games up until the end of the regular season. Uh, I, I don't know the specific number, but it was a lot of games in a, you know, not, not many days. So I think, you know, we might need to expand, you know, the end date and kind of just be able to move these games, you know, further, further down the road. It was announced by the Rangers on Wednesday that their defenseman, Jacob Truba is out four to six weeks with an upper body injury. Uh, that's a huge loss for them. Uh, we spoke about how Panarin's going to take a leave of absence. So not only do they have a hole up front, but they also have a hole on the back end that needs to be replaced. Uh, and also, you know, last week we spoke about the Pionk and uh, Truba trade and how that kind of worked out for each respective team. And, you know, it would be interesting to me to see how well the New York Rangers defense will play. Yeah, I think with New York early season, even when they had everyone together, you know, things things weren't going well. And now, you know, that they're taking away these key players, arguably, you know, their top defensemen. You could say Adam Fox, you could say Trupa. I think it's either one of them. And then obviously, I'd say Panarin's their best forward. So it's going to be tough for them. And it's going to be tough, you know, how, how they're going to rebound from this. You know, guys like Lafreniere and Capo Caco, you know, they've, they've been able to kind of hide and the Rangers can still score. However, now they're going to be relied upon or else the Rangers are going to have a really rough run. This is not NHL news, but I feel like something relevant since we both live in the Toronto area. Uh, catchers and pitchers reported to spring training for the Blue Jays on Wednesday. And it's been 510 plus days since the Blue Jays have hosted a game in Toronto. And, you know, it's crazy to me to think that we could possibly go three full seasons without a game in Toronto. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think hopefully things, you know, by, you know, kind of spring, summer are good enough for the Jays to play in Toronto. However, you know, just with the border and quarantining and all these rules and such, it's going to be difficult. And it is hard to imagine for the Jays, you know, to at least start the season in Toronto. I think that 510 days is going to keep going up. And, you know, I'd love to be going back to the, you know, the the Dome and watching a good Jays game. I think that's just something, you know, I, I, I used to like to do and I, I've been missing it for sure. As a business standpoint, I think this is good because uh, right now in Dunedin, they can allow fans in. And like there was a report, I think, uh, that came out a few months ago that said, like, you know, the, the MLB teams were losing billions of dollars by not having fans in the stands. So at least they're gaining some of this money back uh, by hosting uh, fans in spring training. And the Jays are going to start out their season in Dunedin. So they'll carry this uh, fan capacity into the season is my hope. Um, but yeah, like there's, I miss the buzz around the city, whether it's with the Raptors or with the Leafs or with the Blue Jays, uh, mm -hmm. there used to be this buzz in the GTA that, you know, ever since the coronavirus pandemic happened, I'm missing that. And, um, there's also this disconnect that I feel, uh, I didn't watch a lot of Jays games, uh, last season. Cause you know, they're down in Buffalo and like, you know, along with the buzz and, you know, there's this, there's just this disconnect. Uh, between me and, you know, the team that's ways away and not playing in their hometown. 
Exactly. You know, last season, you know, with, with the extended wild card rules, the Jays somehow were able to, you know, squeak their way in there. But, you know, the Raptors, you can look at them as a prime example. They they went to, from playing in Toronto, you know, one of the best places to play in the NBA, you know, just a devoted fan base to playing in Tampa Bay. And, you know, early they started the season two and eight. And for them, they've been a very successful franchise over the last decade. For them to have that bad of a start, you know, really goes to show how much they were missing the fans. They've been able to, you know, adjust and kind of be able to find their groove without the fans. But it does just show, you know, how much of how much of an impact fans have and playing away from Toronto. You know, these guys, you know, the Raptors, they're staying in hotels in Tampa Bay. It must be really rough just constantly going on the road, whereas other teams, you know, who are used to playing in the States, you know, they can go home and see their families and sleep in their own bed. So it is a disadvantage for the Canadian teams playing, you know, in a league where they're the only one from Canada. We mentioned earlier about Chicago. You did actually. And I wanted to highlight, you know, three of their rookies or, you know, three rookies on their team. Philip Kurashev, he has nine points in 18 games. Puis Suter has 10 points in 19 games. And Kevin Lankinen, who has to absolutely win the Calder Memorial Trophy, in my opinion, has 2.42 goals against average and a 927 save percentage. So I think... Chicago is, you know, riding. This could be the next wave of uh, the next, I guess you could say, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze of this Chicago uh, team since, you know, Taves and Kane are getting older. Mm-hmm. You know, with Chicago, you know, f- six years ago, they won the cup. But now, you know, we've been able to see the downfall of this team and sort of just, you know, piece by piece, they lose and lose these guys that you're used to seeing wearing Chicago uniforms. And all of a sudden, you look at their bottom six and you, you couldn't name one player. But now these guys are stepping up and these rookies, I think it's a really big thing uh, for the success in Chicago. You know, uh, these it's, it's good that it's rookies, you know, not just these random guys. These are pieces that Chicago can sort of, you know, build off of and, you know, have established in their lineup, especially, you know, Kevin Lincoln and, you know, a, a, the first episode we did, I remember talking about how Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia, that's not going to cut it as an NHL tandem, but now, you know, the success of Kevin Lincoln and he's, he's proven to be like a legit starter throughout his uh, short NHL career so far. And not only the Calder, but, you know, realistically a Vesna could be, you know, potentially in his, his future. If he keeps this play up, I don't think he wins the Vesna, but I think, you know, just the way he's playing is deservedly to be talking about how, like how good he's been and how good he will be hopefully for the Blackhawks future. The Pittsburgh Penguins have five of their nine wins in regulation. Uh, You know, it's crazy to me that they don't have, you know, let's say seven of nine in regulation. And, uh, you know, most playoff games go to overtime, I think. So I think this Pittsburgh Penguins team is kind of built for uh, the playoffs in a way. They're already, you know, in mid-playoff form. And that can either be bad if you look at it because they're peaking too early for the playoffs, or that could be good. They're kind of ramping up for the physicality that's going to come with it. Tristan Jari, or Tristan Jari, yeah, he's been phenomenal the last two or three games for the Penguins. So it looks like they're, you know, trending the right direction. Yeah, it seems that things are back on track. And, you know, you and I, before we started recording, talked about how the Leafs right now, you know, might have to adjust to a completely different style of hockey once the playoffs come around. However, the Penguins, it seems that they're used to, you know, playing these tightly, you know, tight games that, you know, maybe go to overtime, come down to the wire, you know, last couple minutes. It's a one goal game. So I think, 
you know, that's an advantage built off of, you know, the experience that this Penguins team already has, you know, some of the guys on this team have won three cups, uh, you know, with the Penguins. So it's nice to see them turn things around. Uh, and like, like you said, you know, you got to be able to find, to find a way to win these games and the Penguins are doing so. Uh, Connor McDavid reached 500 career points with an assist on Wednesday night. And it's, it's honestly such a special treat to watch this generational talent step on the ice for a Canadian team. I'm thankful that he got drafted to a Canadian team. Uh, so thank you Edmonton for, uh, you know, basically screwing Buffalo. Cause in a sense, uh, it's crazy to think that Buffalo was one spot away from picking Connor McDavid and who knows, maybe the Sabres would, would be good. Who knows? Uh, but it's honestly such so much fun to watch him. Yeah, you know, as a fan of the Oilers, you know, obviously maybe I take him for granted a little bit. But, you know, he's just such a treat to watch each and every night on my TV, you know, when the Oilers are playing. Yeah, I, it's, it's good to have him on my team. Like you said, with him going to Buffalo, I've had a couple nightmares over the last five years about he could have gone to Arizona. They had a high odds that year, too. And I couldn't imagine if he was buried there in Arizona, that would be a... Uh, you know, tough to, you know, find him on cable, but, you know, 500 points and, and he's done, he's, you look at his first 100 points, it took him around 92 games, but since then he's, you know, shortened the amount of games it's taken him to get the next 100 each and each and every time. And he's just, he's just so special. You have to think that he reaches 500 career points sooner than when he did uh, because, you know, half of his rookie year was out because of injury. Yeah, you know, it was unfortunate. He he went in with Brandon Manning, who ended up playing for the Oilers a few years, you know, after the incident uh, and took away a big chunk of his rookie season. You know, that ended up making Panarin the Calder winner that year. And, you know, McDavid, that's one trophy he will he will never have. Um, but yeah, I think I think, you know, that was a that was a minor setback, but he's been able to play, you know, most of his career since then. Andrew Mangiapane has been bumped up to the first line ahead of that Wednesday night tilt against the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, he currently has nine points in 18 games. Uh, you know, I think that Mangiapane has been playing, you know, really well to earn that first line ice time in Calgary. Yeah, you know, you, you look at Calgary and they have, they have, you know, special guys in their top six. Obviously, Johnny Goudreau, Elias Lindholm, Sean Monaghan's out at the moment, but he's also solid. Uh, it, they need more guys to step up and Andrew Mangiapane, you know, has been able to, you know, pr provide first line production so far in the games that I've seen. You know, he's kind of just a good energy guy. He's got a lot of speed, you know, kind of knows where to be at the right time. And, and he, has, he has a good shot as well. He knows where to put the puck. Apparently, in that late game, the Edmonton-Winnipeg game last Wednesday, there wasn't much refereeing from what I was uh, hearing on Twitter and Discord, um, you know, but that kind of signaled that was another achievement in that game, actually. Uh, it was 600 career wins for Dave Tippett. Uh, you know, big congrats to him and uh, no better way to do it than to do it with, a, you know, a Canadian team like we mentioned. Yeah, you know, on the same night, actually, Connor, you know, reached 500 career points and Tippett got 600 career wins. And I want to mention this from the Edmonton media. Dave Tippett was asked, you know, how special is it for you and Connor to both reach these milestones on the same night? And Dave Tippett's response was, well, neither of us have a cup yet. And, you know, I just kind of like that, you know, mindset from the coach. He, he is dialed in. And, you know, hopefully this Edmonton team, you know, with McDavid and Dreisaitl, it'd be nice to see them make a run in the future. 
On Thursday, we learned that Max Domi was relegated to the fourth line against the Nashville Predators. Uh, and we go right back to the Max Domi for Josh Anderson trade. And it seems to be another great move by Mark Bergevin. Uh, he obviously got crucified when he made the trade. Uh, and, you know, Domi's playmaking ability, uh, decision-making, I guess we could say, I find it quite surprising that he's not in that top six for Columbus that he found himself on that fourth line. Yeah, you know, with Columbus, you know, they lost Dubois. I thought Domi was going to potentially have a chance to be a top two center on that team. Uh, and, you know, when he got traded to Columbus, I liked the move for them. You know, I thought Domi could come in and maybe kind of fit towards the style. Uh, I'm not, you know, really, you know, too keen on his two-way game. I'm not too sure about it. But I feel like that's something that he could maybe develop. You know, it's just unfortunate to see him, you know, playing like this in Columbus. Although he was able to score a goal on that fourth line, uh, you know, some way, somehow. Uh, and another thing, pointing back to the Anderson move, you know, fans crucified Mark, Mark Bergevin. And that's something as a, as a sports fan I hate. You know, right away when a trade comes out and fans declare a winner right away. You know, let these guys play. Uh, you know, let, let them actually get comfortable with their teams and then we can decide a winner. I remember two years ago at the deadline, Granlund got traded for Fiala. And people thought that was a completely one-sided deal and Nashville was winning. But, you know, Fiala has been able to be, you know, potentially better for the Wild than Granlund has been for the Predators. So, you know, just just let things play out. And, you know, right now we're seeing, you know, Mark Bergevin winning another trade. Joe Thornton is turning back the clock. And, I mean, he got uh, reinstated on that first line with uh, Matthews and Marner. And, uh, you know, it's crazy to me to think that – I it seems like they have a great uh, second line mate, uh, whether it's Hyman or Joe Thornton. And, um, you know, just the playmaking ability the 41-year-old has, it's, it's, it's like he's turning back to his San Jose days, to his younger days. Exactly. You know, the last couple seasons in San Jose, you know, Joe Thornton, he's a Hall of Famer. So every once in a while, he's going to, you know, get the puck in the net or make a nice play. However, he was relied upon as, you know, more of a more of one of their like ideal top players in San Jose. And that just, you know, at this point, is at this point in his career wasn't, you know, right for him. Uh, and now in in Toronto, when he's playing with Matthews and Marner, the defensemen on the other team, they're going to be focused on Matthews and Marner most of the time, which allows for Thornton to, you know, get a little bit more space. And with one of the best playmakers of all time, you know, that's something that you don't want to do. Who is your MVP? Uh, you know, that may be a biased question, but Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid are both uh, going head-to-head for this Hart Trophy. And uh, I'm really excited to see who comes out on top. I think my MVP at the moment is Connor McDavid, uh, just because I think, you know, if you took Matthews off the Leafs, they wouldn't be doing as bad as if you took the McDavid off of the Oilers. Um, you know, I, I think right now those are the two front runners and things can change, you know, we're, we're about, you know, a third into the season and, you know, maybe other guys could start to, you know, put themselves in that MVP race. But right now I do think it is a two man race at, at this time. The Penguins allow three goals or less in, you know, the win against the New York Islanders. They won four to one on uh, Thursday night and it's you know, like we mentioned before, it's like they're playing playoff hockey already. You know, they're winning uh, games. They can show that they're good defensively. 
Exactly. You know, the talent there, that's never in question, you know, with Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, guys like that, you know, offensively, the Penguins aren't going to struggle too, too much, you know, maybe a slump here every once in a while, but you know, it's more about the back end in Pittsburgh in terms of like point of focus, how their defense and goaltending is playing. And early in the season, it was an issue for them, but now, you know, that it's starting to, you know, strengthen up Jari, you know, should be the starter. I think, you know, he was last year, he had a great season last year, was an all-star. Uh, had had a bit of a rough start, but he's kind of turning turning back, you know, into into the goalie that he should be. Speaking of issues, the Minnesota Wild are facing an issue with their power play. They're currently ranked third worst in the in power play percentage with seven point seven. Uh, it's not going well, and uh, I guess I don't know what they could do for a shakeup. I'll be honest. Yeah, you know, with Minnesota, they have a couple good puck moving defensemen. I think, you know, Jared Spurgeon's been out of commission for a little bit. I think he's back. Uh, I think he, he helps the power play a lot. Uh, you know, Kevin Fiala last season was on a great run, and he's kind of, you know, gone back down to earth a little bit. So just kind of all around a little bit of struggle with that Minnesota power play. Um, and, and hopefully they can find a way to, you know, get the goals in on the man advantage eventually. Nashville got shut out 3-0 by Columbus, and we're looking at the Predators at being sellers at the trade deadline. Some of the players on the block include Ryan, Johan- Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Matthias Ekholm, and I think the only untouchables on the roster are Roman Yossi and Pecorine, and Elliot Freeman brought up on Saturday night that Dante Fabro isn't on that untouchable list. So that's kind of surprising because uh, that, you know, basically says that Nashville really isn't looking at Fabro as someone they want to continue into the future with. Yeah. You know, with Nashville, it was only a couple seasons ago in 2017, they were in the Stanley cup finals. And I remember I have a friend who was a predators fan and I texted him and I said, do you think Soros could be the starter in the future? future and he said yes and I said okay well if Soros could be a starter then I think Nashville could be good for a very long time just looking at their roster at that time but you know you go only four years later and Nashville kind of has a real problem right now and I do believe that being sellers at the deadline should be what they're doing because right now you know maybe they can squeak into the playoffs every couple seasons but you know with their current roster I don't think they're a true cup contender and I think they do need to do a little bit of retooling before they can be back in that you know contending role. We see how dominant Connor McDavid is, but I think credit has to go to his linemates, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and finally, Jesse Puya Harvey. Uh, my question to you is Has Jesse Puya Harvey lived up to that fourth overall hype, or what does he have to do to live up to that hype? I think, you know, when he was drafted as the fourth overall pick, people, people right away were kind of outraged because he was slated to go third. You know, Columbus ended up taking Dubois and it felt that, you know, Edmonton was getting another like really good talent to build off of. And he had a, he had a, you know, a very difficult start to the league. He ended up going to Finland and regaining some confidence. Now he's back in the league and he's kind of, you know, playing like a number four pick from five years ago should be. I think, you know, obviously I don't think he's lived up to number four yet. I think he's slowly getting there, but if he can be a solid top six piece for this Edmonton team, I think, you know, spending the number four pick on him was well worth it. 
And I think that his two-way game is getting better as the games go on. Uh, I think his defensive coverage is getting really better. I think he's playing good along the boards. And then that kind of defensive game translates into really good offensively. We see on the rush when Connor McDavid generates some space that Puglia Harvey knows that he's going to pass it to him. So he drives, he has that drive to go to the net and pop one. Yeah, exactly. I think he's a very intelligent hockey player, just in terms of like all around. He kind of knows what to do in most situations. And playing with a guy like McDavid and, you know, credit to Nugent Hopkins as well, you know, it's just a recipe for success. And hopefully that line can keep, you know, playing that the way they have been so far. Now, my other question to you was, do you think that McDavid is that type of player to kind of make anyone good, whoever is on his line, kind of like a Crosby and a Gensel in a way? Yeah, you know, even early in his career, they kind of had that with him. I remember one of his line mates was Anton Slepyshev. And, you know, that's not super memorable of a name. Maybe it dug out of the memories for some people hearing that. But, you know, he's McDavid has just kind of been that guy where you can throw anyone on his wing and he's still going to produce. Uh, but now, you know, Puyarvi and Nuge stepping up. It's nice to have, you know, skill alongside of McDavid, but it's not necessarily they need to be putting their second best player on McDavid's line. And on Friday night, this was actually the second time this season the Oilers have won without a point from their two stars, McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I think the Oilers have found out uh, what, you know, what their depth issue is with uh, scoring. Yeah, you know, losing Clefbaum at the start of the season was tough, but Barry has kind of, you know, grown into this. You know, he's kind of turning back the clock a little bit you know, to his Colorado days being somewhat of an elite offensive defenseman again uh, and solid in his own end as well. Gaten Haas ended up getting the game winner in that Battle of Alberta on Friday. So it's just nice to see, you know, the depth kind of coming along and, you know, not really needing to rely on McDavid or Dreisaitl to get on the score sheet to be within, you know, reach of games. On Friday night, I witnessed that Thatcher Demko was actually on his game against Winnipeg. Uh, you know, I think that when Demko is on his game, he seems to be the future of the Canucks. But uh, realistically speaking, uh, to be on your game for, uh, you know, let's say 30, 40 games, depending on how many uh, starts Demko gets, is really hard to do. It's really hard to play that A, A-plus level. So I think that if Demko plays like a B, B-plus level grading, he should be good. And uh, I, I'm just very uh, excited to see him play for the Canucks in the future. Yeah, I do think he's the future goalie. I, I'm not sure what Hopi's contract has in terms of like no movement, uh, but I think Hopi might be going to Seattle uh, in the offseason, just as, you know, looking at the tandems where two solid goalies are. Um, but yeah, Thatcher Demko, you know, at the start of the season, he had a little bit of a shaky start. His first two starts weren't amazing, but, you know, now he's kind of, you know, grown back into this comfortable, comfortable Thatcher Demko that we saw in the playoffs last year, or at least flashes of. Um, so hopefully he can be the starter of the future because, you know, he's a very talented player. Quickly speaking on that Seattle point there you mentioned, uh, if their tandem is what I think it is, which is going to be Braden Holpe and Jake Allen, I don't think Jake Allen's going to come back to the Montreal Canadiens because uh, they have Caden Primo coming. Uh, that is a solid, solid tandem to start out your first season with. Because Allen right now, he played phenomenal. He played phenomenal last night in the overtime, stopping various breakaways, two pads stack against, uh, it was either Batherson or Kachuk. Uh, and, you know, he's been filthy. Great, Another great acquisition, by the way, Mark Bergevin got crucified for that because uh, of how much money he gave Allen. But now we see that it really is paying off. And you could make 
the legit argument of saying that Jake Allen is outplaying Carey Price right now. Yeah, I think, you know, it definitely is, you know, a conversation. Carey Price is getting more of these like marquee starts, I'd say, whereas Allen's kind of getting these off night games. But Jake Allen, you know, he's been as solid, if not better than Carey Price throughout the season, just in terms of, you know, his, his play in the net. He seems calm. The team plays kind of calm in front of him and his, his stats prove that he's been a solid goalie so far. On Saturday afternoon, right before the game, Nico Kishie got named captain of the New Jersey Devils. And actually, uh, you predicted that, like, what, like two, three seasons ago? Two, three seasons ago, you you predicted that. And so that another prediction by you uh, stands up correctly. Anyway, uh, he becomes the youngest captain in the NHL at 22 years old. Yeah, Nico was a guy that I kind of fell in love with you know, before his draft year. And it's just crazy to see, like, I remember, you know, following him and looking at highlights of him in the Swiss league and in, in, uh, in the QMJHL before he was even drafted. And now it's crazy. All of a sudden he's got a seven year contract and he's the captain of this team. So, you know, a solid career so far. And I think he, he was the right number one pick uh, just for the devil's team. And hopefully he, he can become, you know, an elite two way center and have Jack Hughes take more of the offensive load. Mike Babcock was announced on Saturday that he's going to coach at the University of Saskatchewan. He is actually from that area. So to me, this looks like a personal decision to go home, potentially spend more time with family. Uh, but let's hope, let's hope that he took the year off to uh, kind of, you know, reflect on what he did with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I think, you know, this is probably where Babcock is going to, you know, kind of finish his career being at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm not sure where he coached prior to his NHL, but it could be at the University of Saskatchewan just because I know he had some college or university level experience. Um, but, you know, it's, it's nice to see him get another job. Uh, but for him to get back into the NHL, I think he just kind of had such a rough, you know, breakup with the Leafs that it, it's going to be hard for a team to give him another chance because um, I don't think Seattle is going to. That's a vacancy uh, head coach job. Um, but yeah, I think it's nice to see him, you know, going back home and being a coach still. Well, I think that uh, more opportunities will open up for Babcock to return to the NHL uh, just because of the nature of some teams in their state and, uh, you know, coaching. So take, for example, Nashville. They're really bad. So they could look at firing John Hines and who's to say that they don't give Babcock a look? Yeah, you know, just that experience. He has, you know, probably Hall of Fame resume. Um, he'll probably get in there just for his coaching. Uh, so it is tough to see, you know, him kind of on the free agent market in terms of coaching and not getting getting a job or getting a chance in the NHL. Jesse Puyallarvi and Reimer Shog, uh, you know, Puyallarvi had a media availability. And actually, I tweeted this out with my podcast account, uh, and it got a it got a lot of likes. And uh, so he, you know. During the media avail availability, Puyallarvi said that he's living in Edmonton in his own. Uh, he has bought a golden retriever. Uh, he doesn't cook. His girlfriend cooks for him. He prefers to eat. And he actually hasn't changed his stick in six years. Uh, and what I said, the summary of the tweet was basically that we never see this side of players. Uh, it adds to their personality. So when you're a young kid, let's say seven, 10 years old, looking up to Jesse Puyallarvi, or, you know, you see this guy on television and he has a dog and, you know, he's having fun with playing hockey and he shows this personal, personable side of his game and of his life. And, you know, it, it, I think that's how you reach uh, new fans is, you know, you have to get players to 
answer or, you know, be open about what their life is outside of just hockey grind practice, you know, pregame routine, whatever it is. Exactly. I think, you know, Jesse Puyarvi, his personality has shown so far and it's just nice to see, you know, I, I've talked a lot how I, I love seeing personality in the NHL and Jesse Puyarvi, I just want to say, you know, how can you hate the guy? He's just, he's just, you know, lights up the room. He's got a huge smile, you know, and, and he can prov- provide when he's on the ice and off the ice, you know, he just seems to be a very happy guy always. And, and it's nice to just see this personality in the locker room. Doug Armstrong also said that he has 10 or 11 locks for the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, that is kind of like, I'm saying that it's, you know, those 10, 11 locks are a mix of modern hockey players, like young hockey players versus the veterans. Cause uh, he did go on record saying that he wants it to be a mixed team. And we mentioned that's kind of going to be like the North like a mix of North America versus Canada, like the world cup of hockey. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see what the roster is going to be. Yeah, Doug Armstrong has an easy job in the fact that, you know, he's going to produce a good roster no matter what, but also a hard job and, you know, who he leaves off this team. Canada's talented enough that they could, you know, they could put two or three teams in the Olympics and all do all do very well. Um, but, you know, in terms of these 10, 10 or 11 locks, I feel like most fans can kind of gauge who these guys are. You know, it's hard to see McKinnon, McDavid, you know, Crosby being left off this list. Uh, but it, it will be nice to see how this roster kind of makes up uh, you know, leading more towards the Olympics. One thing, one line combination that would really get me excited is seeing a McKinnon Crosby McDavid line. I mean, holy, holy yeah. shit. That would get me out of my seat. That would be edge of my seat. Like I, the amount of speed skill on that line, on that one line alone could probably like, that, that's just unfair at that point. Yeah, I think the Cole Harbor connection with Crosby and McKinnon is something that I want to see, you know, in, in the Olympics, them playing together. You know, you see every summer they, they go, you know, obviously now with uh, the pandemic, they ha- they probably were unable to do it this summer. But they go back, they go back home to Nova Scotia. They run camps together. They seem to be good pals, the two of them in the Tim Hortons commercial and such. And it would be nice to see them play, you know, alongside a guy like Connor McDavid for sure. One rumor that I've heard is that he's, he's you know, some people have been saying that Doug Armstrong is taking a look at Bowen Byram, uh, who's the defenseman for the Avalanche. Uh, and I think that Byram should be held off the Olympic roster. Uh, it's quite a surprise to see his name being linked to a Olympic roster because he's so young in his career. And I think that he is just too young for the roster. And this would be his second season if he were to make the Olympic roster. Yeah, you know, I'm going to connect this to the NBA and the, you know, basketball Olympics. You know, it's kind of a tradition for the American roster to kind of have like a rookie on their team. Anthony Davis hadn't played a single NBA game, but he was on the American Olympic roster. Um, So it would be kind of like this, Uh, you know, Bowen Byram, I think he's a phenomenal player. And I think, you know, eventually in the future, playing for Team Canada more than a World Juniors level, I think is something that we will be seeing. However, you know, just in a second season, I think there's so many solid defensemen, you know, over him that might be have a little more experience. Stan Bowman seems to be the leading candidate for the Team USA GM job as well. And I, you know, I, and actually, I, I know that we, you know, we discussed about uh, players being doubtful for the Olympics. But as I read news this past week, I think it actually is in the collective bargaining agreement, the CBA that were signed off by the PA and the NHL that players are 
uh, you know, supposed to uh, go to the 2022 Olympics. So I, I think we will most certainly uh, get NHL players at the Olympics. And I'm very, I'm very excited to see Finland play. Uh, I'm very, cause Finland, you know, they've been building this amazing, you know, we see the world juniors. Uh, they've been building this amazing hockey program over the last five years. And I'm very excited to see how well they perform. You know, I mentioned Stan Bowman. So Team USA, they're going to be another dominant force. Same with Russia. It's going to go back, uh, you know, it, it, I'm going to see all these hockey players that, you know, we've, we've been growing up with uh, play at such a high level. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, like the, the Olympics could be shaping up to be one of the greatest of all time, just in terms of, you know, the makeup of these rosters. I think you're still in a period where the guys like, you know, Bergeron, Crosby, you know, they're, they're kind of still able to compete at this Olympic level. So you're getting a mix of veterans and these young guys transitioning into like new age of the NHL. It's just going to be something that, you know, hopefully we are able to get, you know, NHL players at the Olympics. And I think, you know, just for the hockey world, it'd be huge. Another uh, experiment that the NHL tried doing was having a game at Lake Tahoe during the afternoon, I should say, and uh, the sun ruined the ice conditions, and it actually took 10 hours and 37 minutes to finish the game since they delayed the game. Uh, it started at, I think, um, uh, maybe like 2 p.m. Eastern, and then, uh, you know, they played the first period. Then there were some ruts in the ice. There was bad ice, and obviously, they, you know, the NHL doesn't want to put – uh, players at risk so they decided to postpone it to midnight eastern time uh, and just like that there were records set uh, there was the record set for I guess you could say uh, longest NHL game there's a record set uh, for Mark Stone's penalty he came out of the box right at the start of the second period so that was like a nine nine hour penalty you could argue um, and then, uh, and consequently, the Bruins and Philadelphia game got moved from 3 p.m. to 7.30. And uh, unfortunately, you know, if you have Sportsnet 1, good for you because you were able to watch the game. But uh, if you didn't have Sportsnet 1, you couldn't see the Lake Tahoe game. So, you know, the NHL really, and it got moved from NBC to NBCSN. So, you know, the marketing strategy there, the, the you know, trying to uh, promote this game really failed in their opinion, in my, you know, in my opinion, on their part. Yeah, you know, I think just in general, the marketing of this game, you know, probably or of this set of games, I think, you know, they could have done a better job. I think, you know, in terms of scenic, you know, al although the game wasn't able to be played in the daytime, but, you know, the scenery was just a phenomenal feat to see, you know, just you know, kind of getting that ODR style game, you know, obviously we're, we're aware of the winter classics and such. However, those are played at, you know, big stadiums. However, just, you know, along the lake, you know, in this, in this uh, season where, you know, fans aren't really too much of a thing, you're allowed to have these smaller venue things. And I think on paper, it was a good idea. However, even though it is, you know, February, you know, Nevada, you know, it, it is pretty hot there. Uh, so so it, it is not surprising to see that the ice conditions, you know, were unable to play in the daytime. If you were to ask me where Lake Tahoe was, I, I couldn't tell you it was in Nevada. I thought it was in yeah. Colorado. I really did. I, I believe Nevada. I'm not 100%. I could be wrong. I'm not not too fresh on my American geography. You've never taken a course on it. But uh, I think so. I'm, I'm not not too not 100% on it, though. Hold on. It, it is in... It is in Nevada. Yeah, it's in Lake Tahoe is a, a large freshwater lake in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Well, there you go, people. 
I thought it was in Colorado because Colorado was, I, I guess, the home team of that game. So I thought the Vegas. Uh, Ve- yeah, I guess they, they were the home team, but they it, were playing Vegas. Yeah, yeah I know they were playing Vegas, but uh, Colorado was the home team. So in my opinion, like, why would they put a if you're gonna schedule a home team, right? Why would you not just put it in like you know a home? They should just make Vegas the home team. That there's confusion there on my part. No, yeah, I, I agree, and I think Colorado, in terms of temperature, would have been a better choice as well. We say that the NHL really has a condensed schedule, but as a Montreal Canadiens fan, uh, I watched them lose against the rival Leafs, and uh, in a, you know a great effort, but a loss against the last place Senators. And that was because they had a full week off. And I guess you don't really say it's a condensed schedule when you can literally have, you know, seven full days off between uh, two games for one team. You know, if it's really condensed, then prove it to me by having the team play every other game or, uh, you know, two nights in three days or two games in three days. Because that to me doesn't show uh, that the schedule is really condensed in a way. Yeah, I think, you know, the reason that they set out these week breaks were because in terms of cancellations and postponements, maybe having, you know, a couple days where they could schedule these games. However, the North Division hasn't seen too many problems with their, you know, COVID protocols. So, you know, the seven ga- seven day seven days just was that for the Habs. They took, they took a whole week off of playing. And, you know, w- when you're playing against only teams in your division, every game really does matter that much more. So, you know, going seven days out, that can really kill your momentum. And, you know, they beat the Leafs, you know, a Saturday ago and they had a bunch of momentum and then, you know, seven days off probably definitely killed some of it. Sidney Crosby, a player that we've been growing up with, reached his 1,000th game on Saturday. Uh, And I think that he, again, would have reached it earlier had he not had those early concussions. So it would be interesting to see if kind of like, you know, Carter McDavid follows you know, the same route, and we can make the same argument for him with his injuries, but injuries are a part of the sport. Nonetheless, here's just a tad bit of his resume. Three-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold, a world championship, World Cup, so he's part of the um, three, the triple gold club, Uh, Mm -hmm. the World Juniors, a two-time Hart Trophy, two-time Conn Smythe, a two-time Rocky Richard, and a two-time Art Ross player, or Art Ross winner. Um, just a phenomenal career. Call it the Hall of Fame. He's only 33 years old, so he still has lots yeah. of time left to accomplish, you know, basically anything he wants to. Mm-hmm. No, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Sidney Crosby. I think, you know, when I was younger, you know, Crosby was just like, you know, the face of the NHL. So maybe I neglected it a bit. But now that I'm older and kind of and am able to see his career, it really is a phenomenal career. And especially in the modern day NHL, what he's been able to accomplish and you could make an argument for him being, you know, anywhere between top 10, top five all time. He, he definitely deserves to be, you know, mentioned among the greats. Another accomplishment that he set out was that he is the first ever Penguin to play all his 1,000 games with the Penguins. And uh, that's just adding the cherry on top to his loaded resume. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope he stays in Pittsburgh for the rest of his career. He's just kind of, you know, been so iconic there. And it would be nice to see, you know, him one day be able to skate his last game and look up at the Pittsburgh crowd and then kind of just, to, you know, appreciate and, you know, give him, give him thanks for all that he's done. We saw later that night that Connor McDavid 
uh, you know, basically uh, challenged Austin, Austin Matthews because Austin Matthews went off against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, but, you know, Carter McDavid basically said, hold my beer and went off against the Calgary Flames after being held off the score sheet on Friday night. So, uh, you know, we could insert that Michael Jordan meme, you know, and I took it personally. Uh, but he had a five-point night. Uh, he scored a nutty uh, and uh, an absolute five-hole goal with no luck. Like, you know, man, he is such a treat to watch. Yeah, you know, he, he makes it look easy, and it, it really isn't. You know, I, I I was sitting watching the TV, obviously, you know, Battle of Alberta, that's got to be on the screen. Um, and he had three points in the first period, uh, and then just kind of in the second period completely took off. You know, three goals, two assists. Uh, you know, he just had a phenomenal game. And, and he's, like you said, such a treat to watch. And just every once in a while, you know, he has these kind of special nights where everything goes his way and he gets all the bounces. And, you know, credit to him as a player as well. You know, it, not every player can do what he does. Alex Nedeljkovic earned his first career shutout versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, that's basically solidifying my point, saying that the Canes are uh, legit. They're actually atop of the um, central standings here, I think. And, um, you know, I, I really like how, I, you know, there is kind of that depth in goal with the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, you know, Peter Mrazek went down. And for most teams, if you lose your kind of clear starter, that's going to hurt your team, especially, you know, if you're in contention. However, Nijelkovic and Reimer have been able to, you know, kind of keep them afloat. And Nijelkovic, I think, you know, he's the goalie of the future. Uh, you look, uh, he was on waivers actually earlier this season. I'm surprised he didn't get claimed because he's kind of been, you know, around the Carolina franchise as being, you know, the next guy uh, for a while. Uh, so it's just nice to see him get that first shutout. And against a team like Tampa, I think there's no better team that you can get, you know, first career shutout against. And finally, on Sunday, Travis Zajac is another member of the Without 1000 Games Play Club. He recorded that uh, Sunday afternoon against the Washington Capitals. Uh, you know, another player that's been great for the Devils. Uh, and, you know, let's, I think that they, that the Devils can possibly threaten for the playoffs in, you know, the next two to five years. Absolutely. You know, although they ended up losing that game to Washington, I think just their style of play, you know, kind of surprised me. I think, you know, they are perhaps buying into a system. However, you know, the, the depth lines, they kind of go out there and just try to neutralize the game. And then, you know, when Quinn Hughes, Andreas Janssen, Palmieri, that seemed to be their kind of scoring line uh, get out there, then, you know, they get these opportunities. But I think the Devils are, you know, playing very solid. And I actually got to see it from my own eyes watching their game on Sunday. Pierre-Luc Dubois scored two goals, one of which was the overtime winner in a comeback victory against the uh, Vancouver Canucks. That was actually a good game because Vancouver started out on them early. Uh, they were on the puck early. It seemed like everything was going their way. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, it's 3-2 for Winnipeg. And Vancouver then ties it up at the end of the third. And it was just a great game, in my opinion. And, you know, I... Uh, it, it, it's good to see that Pierre-Luc Dubois is finding success quickly uh, after his return from injury. Yeah, you know, he, he, he came to Winnipeg, got through his quarantine period, and then kind of struggled with injury. Um, reports came out that he was playing with Shifley and Wheeler, and I think that's just the best position you can, you can put a new player in. And he came and he thrived in that role, you know, 
getting, you know, his first goal was, was a nice one. And then, you know, the OT winner, obviously, uh, you know, to seal the game. And I, I just think that was a very solid game, you know, back and forth. It was 2 nothing Vancouver, then 3-2 Winnipeg, tied it up, and then Winnipeg ends up winning in the shootout. So just, you know, a very solid game to watch. David Pasternak hasn't missed a beat one bit ever since uh, coming back from hip surgery. In his last 82 games, including the season and last season, he has 59 goals and 113 points. Just a, just a monster, man. He is, you know, completely shredding up, uh, you know, with the Bruins. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Pasternak, he's, he's been like an elite player for, I'd say, three to four years now. But I think, you know, now, you know, last year, obviously, he tied for the Richard. I think, you know, he's one of the most elite goal scorers in the league. And, you know, 59 games in his last or 59 goals in his last 82 games definitely shows that. And, you know, he's just been he's just been doing his thing this season. Two hat tricks already. Before we get to Pegs' predictions, it's time for our, uh, you know, weekly Pegcast uh, power rankings by uh, Zach Hogan. So uh, this is uh, for the North Division. Uh, he has Maple, he has the Toronto Maple Leafs first overall, uh, the Jets second place, Oilers third, and Canadians fourth. So those are the playoff positions. The Flames, Canucks, and Senators are outside of the playoffs. Uh, you know, the reason for Montreal's drop, I think, was because of that week off. You know, they lost kind of their mojo. So I think, you know, they don't have another situation like that. I for the rest of the season they're constantly playing so I think that once they get back into the rhythm of playing consistently that they'll rise up to the charts maybe be that second third position uh the Leafs are running away with the division no surprise there uh I think the Jets like we've been mentioning there's like these tiers that we see uh so I think the Jets and Oilers are kind of you know two and three positions there uh I think those are good picks right there and then the Flames outside uh yeah Flames Canucks and Senators I think we kind of agreed that those three teams are going to be outside the North Division. Yeah, you know, the Flames have been struggling as of lately. And as an Oilers fan, you know, nothing makes me happier, especially when we get to beat them two nights in a row uh, in regulation. But, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of arguments with that standings, but it took them long enough to put the Leafs in that one spot because you had the Habs for the longest time, you know, holding on to it. Uh, but I think, you know, now it's established that the Leafs are the best team in that division. Time for Pigs' predictions here. Uh, so this is for Tuesday's games, which would be the February 23rd. Uh, I have the New Jersey Devils over the Sabres. Uh, you know, the Devils play like on Sunday. And, um, you know, they almost beat the Sabres, I think, on Friday. Uh, they almost came back and uh, won that game. So that I think the Devils are going to beat the Sabres. Uh, I have the Pens over the Capitals. It would have been really fitting for Sidney Crosby to hit his 1,000th game against uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, you know, just because of their rivalry growing up. Uh, did, you, did you see the congratulations video from Ovi? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I thought that was a nice touch that the uh, Penguins did because I was actually on the Penguins' Twitter account. Yeah, no, you love to see. They had, like, Flurry and Kessel as well, but it was just nice to see Ovi especially. And, you know, it's good to see that there is this good camaraderie around the league, you know, that the that these players that Crosby played against growing up uh, recognize this huge achievement for him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you don't see that in many leagues. Like Crosby and Ovi have gone head-to-head for the last, you know, 15 years, whereas in the NBA, NFL, maybe there wouldn't be as much mutual, mutual respect. Continuing on with the predictions here, I have the Chicago Blackhawks over the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Uh, I'm actually going to switch my prediction here. Currently, I have the Canadians over the Senators. I'm going to take a wild card here. I'm going to say the Senators over the Canadians. Uh, I'm going to go with the Red Wings over the Predators and Oilers over Canucks. Yeah, you know, you threw a curveball going against the Canadians. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll throw one as well. I think you know the Blackhawks have been playing solid. Uh, Blue Jackets have been okay. I'll take the Blue Jackets though. I just think. You know, maybe a little bit of a defensive game. I think Chicago might not be able to play that kind of style. Um, I'll take the Penguins as well over the Capitals. Capitals have been playing okay. Uh, you know, against New Jersey, they had a great third period, but the first and second were a little shaky. Um, I'll take the Predators over the Red Wings, even though the Predators have been struggling. I think I just, you know, like my odds going against the Red Wings. Um, I'll take the Habs over the Senators. You know, they lost in overtime. I think they're going to, you know, go over the film and, you know, bring bring the right mindset tomorrow night uh i'll take the sabers i'll take the sabers over the devils you know i i it's just you know a little bit of bias because you know sabers household uh and then i'll take my oilers over the canucks as well well that concludes it for another lengthy edition of down to the wire thank you again nolan thode for joining me on this episode it's always a pleasure